Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 109, and we are recording on December 1st. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. What's up, Amanda? Hello again. Hello again. Sooner than usual. (laughs) Yes, we had scheduling kerfuffles, so we are recording a bit earlier, and it feels weird to be doing two episodes in the same week. We haven't done that in a while. I know. I realized, but I was doing, you know, some reading for the show, as one does, and and then last night I was like, wait, <laughs> I don't have all weekend. <laughs> yeah, it makes a big difference. It does, it does. It's cool. Well, speaking of reading, mm. what are you reading not for the show? I just started Death Comes to Pemberley by P.D. James for my book club. Um, it was picked by one of our members. And yeah, so it's like a murder mystery set in the Pride and Prejudice universe. And mm-hmm. it takes place after Darcy and Elizabeth have been married for, I think, five years or so. Um, and Wickham is murdered in like the first <laughs> chapter. And I got to tell you, like reading a book where a terrible man who is terrible to women gets offed in like 50 seconds in this particular point in like current <laughs> events is extremely satisfying. <laughs> so I'm not hating it. I'm not hating it. I had not thought of that angle. <laughs> as soon as like, there's a scene where Lydia hears the gunshots and comes running to Pemberley and screams, Wickham's dead. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Standing ovation. <laughs> Wickham is dead. That's right. <laughs> like you can't wait to find out the murderer so you can congratulate them on yes, their good I taste. I hope it's Lydia, victim. you know, like yeah. I hope it's Lydia. So don't at me with the spoiler. But. <laughs> What about oh. you? What is it? Nothing. What does this mean? Well, so here's what happened. <laughs> I read like four books over my Thanksgiving break. I was just like tearing through them between travel, like plane time and then hiding from family time. <laughs> and um, and and then I finished all of them and I'm reading a book that I'm going to talk about later in the show. But I'm that's like that's it. I'm I'm kind of in between books right now, which never happens. Like if we were recording this on Tuesday, like normal, I would have something. <laughs> But it's Friday and I don't. So, so that's that's what happened to me. Okay. So So here's how the show works. It is a weekly show, as said, for personalized reading recommendations, which means you send us your question for a reading recommendation and we find you a book or two. Uh, The questions can be anything from what should my book club read next to what should I gift to X person in my life for the holidays to this book left a hole in my heart. I need more. Uh, We will do our best to find you a book that will fit the bill. You can send us questions either via the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the website, or you can send them to email. It's getbooked at bookriot.com. If your question is time sensitive, please do put in the first line of the form or the subject line of your email when you need the recommendation by so we can try to get to it on time. If we're not going to get to it on the air before you need it, we will likely send you an email. So keep an eye out for those. 
And if your question has already been answered a few times on the show, we might also send an email response rather than make you wait for us to cycle back to it. So that is my story about that. Um, I'm going to read our first question and then we'll do our first sponsor and away we will go. So our first question is from Morgan. Oh, I guess I should say, this is our holiday recommendation show part two. Um, So all of these questions are related to holiday giving uh, in some way or another. Yes. Okay. So our first question is from Morgan who says, I'm looking for some good romances for the holiday season. All my life I've had my internal misogyny telling me that romance was a waste of time and bad writing, but I'm ready to get out there and expand my horizons. I mostly read YA and nonfiction, but I'm open to anything with a fun plot. I'm not afraid of something steamy, but I I'd like to the story to be about to excuse me to be more about fun and intimacy than the steamy throws in the sheets. My favorite romantic thing ever is the show Heart of Dixie just to give you a vague idea of what I like. Our first sponsor is No Time to Spare by Ursula K. Le Guin, who you have heard me rhapsodize about before. She is a classic author of sci-fi fantasy and one of my all-time favorites. Um, And now there is a new collection of essays out from her. So she has taken us readers to imaginary worlds for decades in her fiction. And now she's in the last great frontier of life, old age. And um, she has been keeping a blog and a forum, which is just the best. Um, And this collection is the best of the best. It's the best of Ursula's blog, and it presents really beautifully thought out dispatches on what matters to her now, her concerns with the world, and her wonders at it. Um, It is a really cool window into the mind of a great writer. They are all pieces that have been on her blog, but they're not going to be any more. So this is the only place you can read them going forward. And in them, she is distilling her thoughts on a huge number of topics, uh, age, writing, reading, feminism, faith, politics, uh, questions that trouble her or questions that intrigue her. It's got an introduction by author Karen Joy Fowler, who some of you may have read. Um, and yeah, you if you have been reading her blog, this is a beautiful book to add to your collection so you can have them to hand. If you haven't, this is a great introduction to them. So you should definitely check it out. Again, that's No Time to Spare by Ursula Le Guin, which is a collection of essays. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Okay, Amanda, what you got? Okay, so this is not about holiday giving. <laughs> um, I picked this question because it was holiday related. But oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah no, holiday related. Sorry. I maybe misled when I sent the agenda to Jen. But <laughs> I picked, um, I, so I really latched onto the Heart of Dixie thing with this one. And I picked Destiny's Embrace by Beverly Jenkins, which is a romance and I think a great introductory uh, or a great introduction to like more. Not YA, but like more traditional, you know, like mass market paperback kind of romance novels. Uh, Beverly Jenkins is amazing. And all of her romances are super heavily researched. So you can go into it knowing that you're going to get like a really smart um, and interesting historical read. So Destiny's Embrace is the first in a series. As you will discover as you get more into romance reading, a lot of them are uh, series. Um, And it takes place in the U.S. during the 1800s. And the main character's name is Mariah. Um, she is a, well, well, when the book opens, she lives on the West Coast, I, I mean the East Coast. I don't remember where, I think it's Philly, but she's in a, she lives with her mother. She, it's, it's a very abusive relationship. She's a seamstress. Her mother is uh, her boss. You know, she like works at her mom's shop. Um, and her mom is kind of the worst. So Mariah decides she's going to go out West and like make her own way. 
um, and do the thing because anything is better than living with mom. So she does. And she ends up on a ranch in the West owned by the Yates family. And uh, it's owned by Logan Yates, who is um, cranky. <laughs> and she gets a job <laughs> as his housekeeper. So um, Logan is arrogant and he doesn't like the the housekeeper mariah is hired by his mother uh kind of in the hopes that like a woman will be a sort of civilizing influence on logan a little bit um, but so he really resents the idea of having a woman in his space he's very messy and kind of gross and bachelor-ish um and mariah is just like having none of it so he gives her a lot of attitude when she first shows up she i'm pretty sure if i remember right punches him in the face pretty immediately which is very satisfying or kicks him in the you know um, I don't remember which it is, but she reacts strongly to his terrible attitude. Uh, and then they bicker for like 300 pages. It's just adorable. Like he's, he's kind of, Logan's kind of the worst. He grows to be um, less the worst when he realizes that like maybe spending all your time surrounded by misogynist cowboys has turned him into maybe kind of a grouch. Um, <laughs> and Mariah is just so inter- like entirely not here for his nonsense. But they still manage to develop this really sweet um, and kind of cozy and very steamy relationship. Um, Mariah is black and Logan is mixed race. I'm pretty sure his mother is from Mexico. All of the side characters are great, but I really like this as an intro to romance because it's got that diversity that romance can sometimes be lacking, historical romance especially, but it's the, the genre is doing a lot better. Um, but I think that this is just a really good intro to the genre as a whole. So that's Destiny's Embrace by Beverly Jenkins. 1,000 cosigns for Beverly <laughs> Jenkins. All of them. She's amazing. All of my cosigns for Beverly Jenkins. She's so good. Um, I pulled out of this question uh, small town, contemporary, and like steamy, but also about emotional intimacy. And I immediately thought of Wild Child by Molly O'Keefe, which is the first in the Boys of Bishop series. It's the only, I think it's the only one I've read in the series, Um, but I'm going to keep reading them when I get the time because I really enjoyed it. So it takes place in a small town in Arkansas called Bishop. Um, And it, the main heroine is uh, Monica, who was a teenage reality star. Um, The star was called Wild Child. So you can imagine what it was about. It was basically her like, teenage bad girl hijinks um and so she's like kind of got this reputation because of this reality tv show so now she's grown up and she's coming home to her hometown of bishop to pen a memoir or autobiography rather um so where she wrote a bi- she wrote an autobiography i'm trying to get it straight in my head and now she's coming to like do the next one in the installment like she's got to deal with her publisher for another book and she's having trouble writing so she's like leaving glamour behind going home to try to finish telling her story but she's like very blocked and then on top of it she comes home and of course everybody recognizes her and is like oh Monica's back Mm -hmm. and the mayor Jackson Davies who is our hero is in the middle of trying to convince like a cookie conglomerate to move its headquarters to their town and they're like a a very like wholesome family brand and he's like oh no Mm -hmm. oh no like there's going to be reporters and a film crew following her around and she's going to like get drunk and ruin the town's reputation and then the cookie company won't come here and then our economy is ruined Um, and he's like you have to leave you can't be here (laughs) and the romance obviously is between the two of them and it's a lot about 
letting go of like who people expect you to be on both sides. Um, Monica obviously has this like notorious reputation that is not like really true to her anymore. Um, and the mayor on the other hand is like, he's got like the weight of the whole town on his shoulders. Like the economy is tanked and like, he doesn't know if the town will survive if they don't get new industry in. And he just feels like he has to do it all himself all the time. Um, and and my other favorite thing about this is that in a lot of contemporary, well, a lot of romance in general, the hero is like a jerk who has to learn not to be a jerk. Um, and like he's not a jerk. Like he's he's he wants her to leave, but he's not like a total jerk about it. He's just like, this is, this is, I'm on this mission and you're in the way and like, I need you not to mess this up for me. Um, and he's, he's just not like it, 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 what it's about is them coming to terms with like what their lives are going to be next. Um, so it's not necessarily, I like, he has to learn to like be okay with her being in town, but like, it's not about him being a total jerk face, which I appreciate. Sometimes I get a little tired of them. Um, even though I do appreciate a good grovel. <laughs> So, yeah, so Molly O'Keefe, and there are a lot of steamy scenes, but like really this book leans hard into the emotional intimacy that they have to establish, and it just does it so well. So that's Wild Child by Molly O'Keefe. Okay, question two is from Shannon, who says, I'm looking for small books, literally small, for stocking stuffers size, um, that are still good and interesting and fun. I'm also working with a broad group, i.e. varying political and religious positions, so I'm not trying to start a battle or anything. I'm looking for fun things, poetry, mindfulness, just delightful things to ponder. appreciate any suggestions. Okay, I love this question. This is like yeah. such an interesting um, question. So I picked The Tiny Book of Tiny Stories by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yes, that one, <laughs> um, which is uh, volume one. There are, I think, three or four volumes out now, so you could get one for each person. I don't know, however you want to do it. Um, but they are just adorable, and they are exactly what it sounds like. It's a tiny little book, perfectly stocking-sized, um, and every page has um, a little bit of flash fiction on it. Some of them are just a few words. Some of them are just pictures. Um, some of them are a little bit longer. Like I very distinctly remember one that said um, the entire story was what if King Midas touched himself and then had a picture of King Midas, like, looking very sad. <laughs> and, like, that is just how the whole thing is. So they're, they are, they're fun. Some of them are more um, humor-based. Um, some of them are a little bit sadder or a little more melancholy. But they're all designed to be, like, huh, like, thought-provoking and interesting. It'd be a great, great holiday conversation starter. Um, and they are, like, the book itself, the first volume anyway, is itself, like, super festive. It's red and has, like, snowflakes on it. Um, I'm pretty sure it came out around the holiday season. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty perfect. So that's The Tiny Book of Tiny Stories by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. They're not all written by him. He edited it. Like, they're all written by different artists and um, illustrators and writers. But he put the thing together. Nice. We just had a post um, that I'm going to leave a link to in the show notes that's about miniature books, and I thought you might appreciate that, so I'm going to leave the link in there. I have I have two suggestions. I don't normally do this, but I have one that's kind of dark funny and one that's like wholesome. So, so I figured I'd give you both. The dark funny one is called All My Friends Are Dead by Avery Monson and Jory John. And when I worked for the bookstore, we sold a bajillion of this right around the holidays. Um, it's like a really silly concept cartoon book. The front cover has a dinosaur on it. And the caption is, all my friends are dead because he's a dinosaur. And then if you start flipping through, there's like a pirate and it says, all my friends have scurvy. Um, and, and there's like a tree and a zombie and a, and a cassette tape. And it's just like 
silly little captions about like what your friends are like if you are this thing, but like in a dark, funny way. <laughs> so this is kind of a particular sense of humor. Um, but we did we sold so many of them, and people would just like pick it up and start laughing. Um, so I thought of that uh, when I read this question, and then the more wholesome one is um, Chronicle makes these really cool sort of. They're books, kind of. Um, this one is called Letters for the Year. Um, and it is, like, literally a book of tear-out, like, letters, like, prompt for letters that, you know, give you, like, like little reasons to send people mail. Which I always think is really fun, especially in this day and age when, like, how much actual nice mail do you get? Like, it's all just junk mail. Um, but this is a really cool, like, little book that you can tear out the pages. They give you little prompts for keeping in touch with people. There's nice illustrations. Um, and it's just like kind of a way to like keep in touch with people in a really organized and cute way. Um, and it would make a great stocking stuffer. So that's Letters for the Year by Leah Redmond. So, yes, I don't know what you want, what kind of vibe you want to go <laughs> with, but you have options. Uh, okay, so our third question is from Jessica, who says, I need help with Christmas gifts. My boyfriend has read so many different things that I can't even begin. I'd like a few recommendations based on stuff he loves. Fiction, all-time favorite is Matthew Stover's series Heroes Die and Larry Correa's Monster Hunter series. Nonfiction, he's very into paranormal testimonies, David Sedaris, Henry Rollins, and anything about survival. He loves science fiction, ultraviolence, and modern-day conspiracy theories. I'm excited to see what you come up with because I I'd be clueless unless I asked him. Uh, Amanda, what you got? Okay, all of the trigger warnings for this one because I kind of latched onto the ultraviolence thing a little bit. Um, so I picked The Library at Mount Char by Scott Hawkins, um, which is horrifying <laughs> and completely weird and fantasaical and has a lot of conspiracies happening and is also super violent in every way that violence can exist. Um, so it's about a girl named Carolyn whose parents died and she's taken in by an next-door neighbor um, in like a very normal-looking suburban neighborhood named Father, who they call Father anyway. Um, and she's raised with a bunch of other adopted siblings, uh, and they're raised in, in, how do you even explain this book? Like without sounding like you're just making up something out it's of someone's weird. fever dream. Um, so they are all raised to be gods, basically. They're all raised to take over a portion of creation. Like, like Carolyn is in charge of learning every language and one of her siblings is in charge of learning how to communicate with the animals. And one of them is in charge of learning how to do war. Um, and one of them is in charge of learning how to go back to like how to go into the land of the dead and bring them back all the while they are. Uh, and of course, like being brought up with all these specific skills makes them all really dysfunctional, often in terribly violent and homicidal ways. Um, and they're not allowed to learn each other's skills upon pain of like torture Obviously, Father is not normal. Um, he himself might be a god. Nobody really knows what's going on with him. And when the book opens, he's gone missing. He might be dead. And the library that holds all of his secrets and all of the books that they use to learn all of their skills, which is housed within the house they grew up in, in this very normal-looking suburban town, um, is guarded by some weird, like, magical... Like, no, no one can get in it. And so Carolyn has to figure out... She's got to, like, go find all of her siblings who have been displaced, figure out how to get back into the house, 
create a new god before, you know, the world unravels and the universe implodes and all this kind of stuff. But there's, like, Carolyn's playing a long game. Like, you're with her this whole time, but you know that there's something she's not telling you, uh, which I cannot reveal to you because of spoilers. Um, and her, like, quest to find out what happened to Father is not always exactly what it seems. Uh, so it's got a lot of um, <clears throat> thought-provoking stuff going on by way of like people being roasted alive. So I, there's uh, ultra violence is, is all of that is here for you. If that's what you're into. I loved it. It's just really hard. It's a really hard read, but that kind of sounds like his, his bag. So I think it would work. So that's the library at Mount Char by Scott Hawkins. Yeah. I also kind of clicked into the science fiction plus violence plus conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. So I picked into the drowning deep by Mira Grant, which is about killer mermaids. Um, it is not, I wouldn't call it ultra violent because for example, I could not finish library at Mount Char. Um, and this one I was okay with because it's like sort of like an absurd, like movie kind of violence, um, for the most part, but it is pretty bloody and gory. So the plot is, is that, um, seven years, uh, in the past from the present of this book, which like actually hops around in time a little bit. So it's hard to say the timeline out loud, but anyway, there's an expedition sent off by like basically the book's version of the sci-fi channel, um, to make a mockumentary about mermaids and they like they actually get lost at sea. And there's a little tiny bit of footage that makes it back that seems to show actual, like, killer mermaids killing everyone on board the ship. Um, And there's all of this argument about whether or not it's a hoax, but, like, literally all of these people are gone. So there's a massive lawsuit, blah, blah, blah. Seven years later, they put they have put together a new crew, and it's a big secret because they don't want the same problems. Everybody who's going to be on the crew has to sign like a billion NDAs, um, and they are sending scientists and like a big game hunter and a bunch of like and also the film crew and like a you know sort of like entertainment reporter woman um who's going to be the face of it if if assuming they make it back assuming they have usable footage um and the like ship is supposed to be outfitted with this like really intense defense system and in the crew is a woman whose sister was the sort of entertainment reporter on the first ship. So she has basically spent her life in the sciences, like trying to prove that mermaids actually killed her sister, which like a lot of people think is a super crackpot theory. Um, and a lot of the scientists who are going on this mission are like in it because it's a cushy gig. They don't think anything bad is going to happen and they want access to the equipment that's being outfitted on the ship, but they're like, whatever. But Victoria, who's the one who's the sister, whose sister died, she's like 100% convinced that they're going to find the, science, the mermaids. So they go, and they do, and badness ensues. <laughs> <laughs> who did um, that? <laughs> I don't think it's a spoiler to say that. So you, it's, and, and the scientists are like so interesting you get to meet a bunch of them like the the pov switches around a bunch so you like get it from get the story from the entertainment you know reporters point of view you get a bunch of different scientists at one point you even get one of the big game hunters who are like really creeptastic um and yeah it's a really intense like 
kind of stressful uh, read in the best possible way. And it does like have all these like conspiracies and like who's telling the truth and who's on what side and who knows what information and like what is exactly going on on this ship. Um, it's I thought it was a really fun read, really entertaining. Uh, so that is Into the Drowning Deep, which is apparently the first in a series. It ends on like a pretty solid note. Um, so I'm very curious to see what else is coming. Uh, but yes, and that is by Mira Grant. Who's also Shauna McGuire, just FYI. I don't think I knew that. Oh, yeah, same person. (laughs) Weird. Okay, cool. Okay, question four is from Caitlin, who says, I've gotten into the habit of reading short stories before bed since I tend to fall asleep in the middle of reading, and it makes me less frustrated and guilty if I need to get back on track the next night. As the holiday season approaches, I'm looking for a short story collection to help me get into the spirit, either about winter, snow, Christmas, or something like that. I read My True Love Gave to Me last year and loved it, but I'm having a hard time finding something this year. I love historical fiction, fantasy, YA, contemporary literature, and obviously short stories. Not a fan of crime, thrillers, or horror. So anything that could help out this bookworm get to sleep would be fantastic. Okay, I picked The Last Chance Christmas Ball, which is a romance anthology that's super fun and festive. Um, It's got a lot of authors that if you read romance, you're probably familiar with. Mary Jo Putney, um, Joanna Bourne. Uh, Nicola Kornick and a bunch of other people, um, Joe Beverly also. And this, oh, so it takes place Christmas 1815 at Holborn Abbey, which is this big house um, that hosts a Christmas ball every year. And so every story is about is it from a different perspective of either a guest or one of the servants and their like quest to find romance at this ball. Um, some of them are. You know, like, there's an heiress who is, if she doesn't find someone to marry, she's going to be married off. If she doesn't find someone to marry, like, by midnight at this ball, her father's going to marry off to someone she hates. Um, there's a, one of the maids, one of the, the chambermaids is actually, like, a very wealthy jewelry uh, designer uh, and gemstone, what do you call those, like, gemstone cutter? I don't know. There's, like, a word for it that I'm not remembering, um, who is posing as a maid so that she can get into the room of a man who wronged her. (laughs) I know. Um, And she has a romance with one of the guests who is a police officer or a spy, a spy for the British, one of the other two, um, who she's had run-ins with in the past. So there's like upstairs, downstairs romance happening. Um, There's a lot of like, gotta make it happen now and like intrigue. And it's just very, there's, you know, of course there's a lot of mistletoe. And it's got a kind of, Pride and prejudice feel of, like, big house balls, like, that sort of thing. I just love that setting. Um, and I really like how every collection is about a different guest or an employee because then you see, like, you know, people from other stories interwoven in. It's just a lot of fun um, and very festive. And the, the stories are all pretty short. Like, it's a pretty thick anthology, 400 or so pages, but there's a lot of stories crammed into it, so you can very easily, like, fall asleep in the middle of one wake up wake up the next day and pick it up and like finish it so i think it would be a good fit so that's the last chance christmas ball by like a lot of people but mostly mary Putney, i guess is the, big, <laughs> is the big headlining author there <laughs> um i'm gonna before i give my recommendation i'm gonna pose a question to you the listeners because somebody asked a similar question not too long ago but specifically about sci-fi fantasy like not on get booked in a different setting and i have been trying to find 
a sci-fi fantasy col- or a, fe- a collection that includes sci-fi fantasy that is not just about Christmas. Like a holiday collection, but not just Christmas. And literally the only one we've come up with is My True Love Gave to Me. Like, I, And that's YA and just happens to include some sci-fi. So if you can think of one... That includes holidays or like solstice or Hanukkah or like literally anything other than just Christmas. I would love to hear about it. Um, In the meantime, I am recommending my favorite Christmas anthology, which is Miracle and Other Christmas Stories by Connie Willis. I reread it every year. Um, It is just so much fun. It has a bunch of eight, yes, eight tales um, that are all about Christmas from different angles. So like there's one where a young woman who is like, you know, gearing up for the work Christmas party and she like bought this amazing dress and she's finally going to get the hot guy to ask her out on a date. And then her sister who's like into, you know, woo woo stuff sends her a guardian angel for Christmas. And he is like this hippie, annoying, like blonde dreadlocked being who's messing everything up. Like he turns her beautiful dress into like a bunch of leaves and is just like messing with everything. And it's really funny and entertaining. Um, there's another one where it's like a retelling of the nativity, but like with a weird like a little bit of a time travel twist um there's one where aliens come to denver like it's just got so much fun concepts going on um i will say that if you're super not interested in anything even a little bit on the horror side you should skip the toy shop one because that one is creepy like it's legit creepy so just like skip that one um but i think on the whole you would really and i mean this i it is like i said it's my favorite um so that's miracle and other christmas stories by connie willis owl crate is a monthly subscription service that delivers bookish fun straight to your door Each box will contain one brand new hardcover young adult novel, as well as a whole bunch of bookish keepsakes to help set the mood for your literary adventure. Each box is built with a super fun and creative theme in mind with a new theme uh, for every box, and they also include special goodies right from the author. Owlcrate has a brand new box as well for younger bookworms, Owlcrate Junior, which is a perfect box for readers ages 8 to 12 or anyone who is just generally young at heart. Lots of the items included in the boxes are handmade from small businesses like Etsy sellers, and most of them are exclusive, so you're not going to find these fun bookish goodies anywhere else. Owlcrate has also begun working with publishers to send out books with exclusive cover designs, making them even more special. So if you're a book collector, this is really right up your alley. So go check out Owlcrate, and thank you for sponsoring the show. Happy reading. Okay, question five is from Sarah, who says, I'm trying to get a head start on my holiday shopping, and I'm loving. I'm looking for a book suggestion for my mom. She's a pretty steady reader, has read most of the classics, and is in an active book club, so she often has read the currently popular books. She enjoyed the P.G. Woodhouse series and loves Remains of the Day. Her favorite book is Grapes of Wrath, hoping to find something she's unfamiliar with that she can really dive into. She is a violence abuse counselor and often really heavy subject matter is hard for her to get through in her pleasure reading no horror please uh amanda okay i picked a front page affair by radha vatsal which i think is a good um i mean it's not a funny it's not on purpose funny like pg Wodehouse, but it's set in the same sort of time period and has a lot of like 
gag humor and a, like some physical comedy and funny one-liners. So I think it would be good for a fan of that. And it's also um, a pretty recent book, but it's not... I didn't hear a lot of like buzz about it uh, when it came out, so I think it's unlikely that she's read this one. So it takes place in New York in 1915, and it's about a like plucky lady journalist named Capability Weeks, which is just the best <laughs> name. Um, but she goes by Kitty, uh, and she wants to be a reporter. Like she wants to be a legit talking about the news and current events. You know, it's 1915. The Lusitania was just sunk, and like J.P. Morgan was just shot in his house, and World War One is happening. And she wants to like be in that. Um, sort of world writing about important things. But as a woman, of course, she's not allowed. She's been stuck um, covering stuff on the ladies' page, which, as is pointed out in the book, is actually the page that brings in most of the ad revenue for the newspaper, but is like given the least amount of respect. Um, so she's writing about society gossip and stuff like that. And she's sent to cover a big picnic for the page that like a very high society person is putting on, and a man is murdered at this picnic while she's there. Um, and so she... At, like in her capa- uh, capability, ha! <laughs> capacity as a journalist gets kind of involved. Like she's um, asked by her paper since she was there to provide like the ladies angle and like go talk to some of the women who were at the party and get their feelings about the murder and then give them to the man who's actually in charge of writing the article. But since capability is competent and this man is kind of sort of not, she discovers a lot of things about the murder that don't add up. The man that they arrest for having committed the murder, who's an Italian, or no, he's German. And so because of the cultural um, tone of what was happening at the time, was kind of arrested and it feels very scapegoaty. Or he was Italian. Either way, at the time, uh, it was very like a scapegoaty prejudice sort of arrest. And she realized that this realizes that he didn't do it and kind of goes off on her own trying to figure out who the actual murderer is. And so the book is, it's, you know, it's a murder mystery, obviously, but it's also wrapped up in a lot of history of the time period and is a really great tour of life um, as a kind of upper middle class woman in New York in 1915, who's got, like, I don't know if I would call Kitty a feminist character. She's not, like, out to get the vote, you know, and suffrage is mentioned a few times in the book, but um, she does just kind of want to live her life and make her own choices, which in 1915 was radical a little bit for a woman um but she covers a lot of really interesting information she being the author so like I think last time I recommended the book on the show I talked about how she explains how New York was designed like the grids like how those came to be which was really interesting to me and like a lot of uh information about how America eventually did get involved in the war and the sort of backroom dealings that kept us out of it for so long it's just really interesting and if your mom your mom seems to really like um historical fiction centered around wartime so I thought that this would be a good one for that so it's a front page affair by Radha Vatsal and it is the first book in a series of mysteries called the Kitty Week series so there are more if she likes it I picked a book that Amanda has been recommending for forever (laughs) but I only just got to it and I thought maybe your mom also had not gotten to it um so this is the book I am reading right now but I couldn't say that at the beginning because why talk about it twice uh it's a study in scarlet women by Sherry Thomas um which is the first in the Lady Sherlock series and oh man it's so good it's so much fun like I regret waiting this long to finally start reading it uh so it is a sort of recast of Sherlock Holmes as a woman named Charlotte at homes um and i like i'm only halfway through so i don't know the full story yet but what has happened so far is that um she has been sort of secretly lending aid to a police inspector via a male friend um 
like helping solve cases because she is like a very observant, smart young woman. But because she's a woman and because of the times, like she can't be like openly doing these things. So, and in the meantime, her family has been pressuring her to get married because she is that age. Um, And so she has been, she had struck a deal with her father um, that she instead, like after a certain number of seasons would go and like learn, like become a governess and get educated and like do that. She doesn't want to get married, but he reneges on the deal. And I was like, no, you're going to get married. And she's like, well, no, I'm not. I'm going to get ruined instead. (laughs) So she like deliberately sets it up where she ruins herself. Um, and so that she'll be cast off by her family, but her plan like goes awry. Um, and at the point I'm on at the moment, like she is trying to figure out like, okay, I have no money and everybody like doesn't want to have anything to do with me because society and like, how am I going to, um, like make my way in the world. And then on top of it, she has noticed that there are a string of what look like accidental deaths, but are actually not. And they also don't look like they are connected, but she can see that they are. Um, so she is trying to like help solve a murder while also figure out like how she's going to exist in the world. And I am so into it. I'm so into it. It also has that like very wry British humor, which is what made me think of it. Um, in this question, like the Woodhouse question, um, it just is very, it's got all of that, like very Britishy, very sort of dry sense of humor that I really enjoy. And it sounds like your mom does too. So, um, And if she likes it, there's more where that came from. So that's A Study in Scarlet Women by Sherry Thomas. Okay, question six six is from Sarah, who says, My husband is really hard to pick books for for Christmas, and I'm needing recommendations. He really likes coming-of-age stories and short stories that are connected together by the same characters. He doesn't like books with extremely long chapters that don't have a good stopping point. Some examples of books he has loved are The Road... Anything by David Sedaris, Hillbilly Elegy by J.D. Vance, The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls, The Kite Runner by Colette Hosseini, and Palo Alto by James Franco. Okay, I went with We the Animals by Justin Torres, um, which your your husband seems to be drawn to coming-of-age stories that really center on, like, poverty, growing up in poverty, and so that is very much what this book is about. Um, it's an autobiographical novel, which is always, you know, mm, um, feels very workshoppy, but it's so good, and it's very short. The chapters, if I remember right, are also pretty, are on the shorter side, um, but it's a really, really fast read. It's, I maybe even would call it a novella. It's like under 150 pages, but it's about three brothers, Justin Torres being one of them, obviously, um, who grow up very poor to a pair of really volatile parents. Um, their father is Puerto Rican. The mother is white. She's from Brooklyn. And they, her, his mother has a lot of depression issues. His father is sometimes absent. There's a lot of violence. Like, they have a very passionate relationship the parents do um and sometimes it spills over into being like into like physical altercations there's a lot of like inappropriate sex that happens in the book and then the three boys are basically feral like their parents very obviously love them but don't know how to raise three children in poverty like they are just kind of struggling and so the boys grow up doing basically whatever they want which involves a lot of getting into trouble unsurprisingly um also a lot of violence like, playing in trash, supervising themselves while their parents sleep off their graveyard shifts. Like, um, it's it's just a really fascinating look at, like, a family that somehow makes it work, even though they're at the same time really not making it work at all. Um, and it's, it's, it's very raw and, like, kind of 
hard to read because you can feel like so often when I read, you know, like an autobiographical novel, it feels like the, the author is trying to kind of distance themselves from the things that happened to them. And usually it's very understandable because they're often very hard. But I feel like in the, the way, I don't know, there's something about Justin Torres's writing where it feels like he's not doing that at all. Like he's just in there with you telling him about what his life was like. And it's a tough read. Um, but I mean, if he managed to get through the glass castle, I think this will be fine. So that's We the Animals by Justin Torres. Yeah, everything that Amanda just said. That book felt like the author like bled all over the page yes, as he was just, writing it. It's just like open up his chest, crawl inside. Like that's yeah, what's happening here. Yeah. So raw and so good. Um, I picked a short story collection that has an organizing theme rather than connected characters. So like they are connected by the theme. Uh, it's Oye, What I'm Going to Tell You by Cecilia Rodriguez Milanes, which is just still one of my favorite short story collections that I've read in the past couple years. Um, the organizing theme is that it's all about the lives of Cuban Americans. So it, it goes around in time and geography a bit. Like there's World War II era Havana and then there's like people in New Jersey and people in Florida. Um, and the characters are like either the children or grandchildren of exiles. Um, their families are Cuban, but they've lived in the United States and they're trying to figure out like what that means for them. And in some cases they are really connected to their heritage and sometimes they're really not. Um, and sometimes they're like incredibly frustrated with their families. And some of the stories are sad and like some of the stories are really funny. Um, and so there's a broad range of voices and of sort of set pieces in the collection, but they're all, you know, contemplating this central question of like, what does it mean to be, you know, first generation, second generation, um, and specifically what does it mean to be a Cuban American? And I just found the characters so compelling. Her writing is so good. Um, the stories are not super long. There's a bunch of them. And the range is so big. Like, it seems like, like Amanda noticed, like, you like stories that are, you know, real to life and that have, like, that, you know, personal sort of struggle narrative um, as well as coming of age. And I think that you will, like, I think that he will really get a lot out of this. I just, I just still love it so much. Every time I think about it, I'm like, oh, that was so good. Um, so that's Oye, What I'm Gonna Tell You by Cecilia Rodriguez Milanes. And our last question is from Brian, who says, I'm hoping you may be able to offer me a recommendation in time for the holiday gift buying season. A friend and I purchase a book for one another every Christmas. We usually pick something that we loved and thought the other person would love as well. This year, I thought you may be able to help. Uh, she is a 30-year-old recent graduate school student living in upstate New York. She works in the human services field and is originally from Puerto Rico. She loves Harry Potter. She usually reads YA or fantasy books, but She's really driven by stories that have characters you get to know well and fall in love with. I'm hoping to find her a book featuring a quirky underdog that wins out in the end, despite facing life's inevitable obstacles. It would be better if it didn't feature sexual violence, if possible. What you got, Amanda? Okay, I picked The Dark Days Club by Alison Goodman, which I was trying to save for our Jane Austen read-alike show, <laughs> but I can't because it's just great and I think would really work here. Um, so The Dark Days Club is the first in a YA fantasy series. And the second one just recently came out. But this is like Pride and Prejudice meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I think it would be really what? great for somebody who's into like underdog characters, do fantasy things. Um, so it takes place in London in the early 1800s. And the main character is Lady Helen. She's like, you know, a fancy aristocrat. But she's 18 and she doesn't really like 
do well with the aristocracy stuff. And when the book opens, she's about she's being prepared for her presentation to the queen. Like the queen every year would receive the ladies, the new ladies of London who had just had their coming out. And, you know, that's really it. You get fancy, you go meet the queen and you move on with your life. But while she's preparing for this, you find out a lot of really interesting things about Helen. Uh, namely, that her mother and father are dead, and she's living with her aunt, who is fine, and her uncle, who is the worst. Um, and her parents died under kind of suspicious circumstances, and her mother was suspected to be a um, traitor, like a spy for uh, Napoleon Bonaparte. And so Helen... Helen's family has got that kind of stain over her, um, and her uncle is really insistent that she behave in very specific ways to move the family forward past that, you know, like, secret shame. But Helen only has fond memories of her mother, and this story about her mother doesn't make any sense to her. Um, and so she goes to her presentation to the queen carrying a little miniature painting of her mom. And while she's there, she meets Lord Carlston, who is a cousin to the family, like a very distant, distant, distant cousin, and who is also a societal outcast um, and who is thought to have murdered his wife and what he's doing back and like in London, being accepted into high society, talking to Helen, everyone's very confused. Um, but during their meeting, he steals the miniature of her mother. And so she decides she needs to get it back. And in that process of getting back this painting of her mother from a guy who is maybe a murderer, she discovers that there are demons that walk the earth in, in, in England and that Lord Carlston and maybe her parents, you don't really know, um, are somehow involved in their um, slaying. Like, I'm just going to push the Buffy thing here. <laughs> uh, and that since she is the child of who she is, she is also expected to essentially become a slayer of these kinds of demons. But what she's good at is stuff like, you know, wearing a dress and being nice to people and also sewing stuff. And she doesn't know if, like, that's the life that she wants. She's not super satisfied with sitting around doing nothing and being bored, but she also doesn't want to risk her life uh, for a country that calls her mother a traitor. Like, she's just got this... She doesn't know what to do. Um, and she's very much a quirky underdog character in this book. Like, she, I, she has no martial arts training. She has no, like, know-how of magic or no training in, like, in anything sort of supernatural. She's just a girl who wears corsets. Like, what am I supposed to do with this information? <laughs> and she just kind of panics uh, throughout the rest of the book. And... Um, then she discovers that she does have kind of like super strength that comes on when she's angry, which she gets a lot. So that's always fun to, to watch, like a teenage girl who can murder you when she's mad. Like, that's not great for parents. Um, so there are a lot of things happening. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a really fast read and I think would be a, a really good present. So that's The Dark Days Club by Alison Goodman. Yeah, I also went with, well, I think it's technically more sci-fi than fantasy, but it does feature uh, a group of underdogs who are trying to win uh, despite life's inevitable obstacles. Actually, really like nefarious obstacles. Let's be real here. Um, it is Want by Cindy Pan, and it takes place in a future Taiwan where the pollution is so bad that if you are rich, you have like Basically, it's like a light version of a spacesuit. Like you have your own air supply and it covers you head to toe and you don't like touch things without your gloves and you don't breathe the regular air and like that's fine. And it's like bedazzled and stuff. Um, but if you're poor, you breathe the terrible air and have a really short expectance, life expectancy and you get sick and there's no medical care and like it's it's like literally the haves have air and the have nots do not. Um, 
And the group of kids, teenagers, um, all come from, like, you know, differing family circumstances. Um, Jason, who is the main character, is an orphan. Um, and he's been kind of, like, pulled into the fold by these people, which is headed by one of the other kids' mother, um, who's become, like, sort of a surrogate mom for a lot of them. And she is a professor. Um, and she is, uh, like she's done a lot of studies on what is going on with the environment and the medical situation. And she's been trying to get legislation passed that will like make people, you know, have an actual shot at a decent life and maybe clean up the air enough for everybody else on the, in the world. Um, but there's a corporation that makes the suits that the rich buys that has been blocking the legislation. And she turns up murdered in her office and they are convinced that it has to do with the legislation she was trying to push through. So they're like, well, some Somebody has to go undercover and figure out like what is going on here. So Jason ends up going undercover as like a rich kid, but he's like so not a rich kid. And so he spends all this time like trying to like learn to behave like a rich kid and like <laughs> And then uh, as he infiltrates, you know, the high society, he finds himself falling for a young woman who is the daughter of the CEO of the company that makes the suits. So that's like, you know, a little bit like star-crossed lovers. But what I loved, this was one of my favorite YAs that I read this year. And the reason was is that it feels so centered in a way why why it doesn't always like it's why is a lot about the emotional like ups and downs of being a teenager in whatever situation you're in um and that's here like the emotional content is there but it it's handled in a really sort of like I think mature way is the phrase that I want. Like these kids have the big picture and they also are teenagers who are like struggling to deal with things in a grown-up way but the big picture is always the focus and it pulls it together in a really awesome way um I just love this I love the world building I love the characters like there's great representation and inclusivity among the among the supporting characters um the main girl is not at all like the girl you think she's gonna be it's just it was so fun and it and they're really scrappy um and I just loved it and it is the first in a series although it has like a pretty nice conclusion uh so it's not a super cliffhanger, but I do want more. So that's Want by Cindy Pun. And that's our show. Huzzah. Huzzah. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sending in your questions. Uh, thank you to our sponsors. If you have a chance, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks to find the show, and we always love to see your feedback. You can find me on social on Tumblr mostly these days. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that's Jen with two N's. What about you, Amanda? Um, you can find me on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>